Would you open your Bibles now, please, to the book of Romans once again, the 12th chapter, the 13th verse. And in Romans chapter 12, verse 13, we move on to the next area that really gives us a perspective of that which we owe to one another as followers of Christ and as believers in him. Did you ever wonder, as the apostles were writing the scriptures, what they were thinking as they were writing? It came to mind that Paul, as he's jotting down, and and actually he probably was not doing the actual writing. He was probably uh, dictating to what they call an amanuensis who was writing it down. But can you imagine what was going through their minds while he is writing this book to the church at Rome, believers, most of whom he had never seen, he had never come in contact with them. There were a handful that he did, and he's going to identify them for us as we get to the, to the end of the, the book of Romans. But he is writing now to a church with this idea, I'm giving you God's word. I hope that this will help you to know our Savior better, to love him more, to live for his glory, and to enjoy the benefits of what he has given us. And when you look at the the chapters preceding this, we have a pretty organized presentation of man's condition, the sinfulness of mankind, the provision for that sin that was given to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He even gives us a glimpse in chapters 9, 10, and 11 of his plan for the people that he had set apart initially, the people of Israel, and what he intends to do with them as his people. And then we come to this 12th chapter, and now he's writing these very, very practical extensions of the truths that he has taught in the previous chapters. I wonder if he was wondering to himself, will this enlighten their understanding of who the Lord is? Will will this bless them? Will this encourage them? Will this challenge them? And I think the recipients, and that would now include us, would probably be impacted to a great deal by the things that are an encouragement. As I read through the book of Romans, my heart is greatly encouraged because of what the Lord has revealed about his provision for us and what he intends for those who are his children. And in many ways, I'm challenged because of the different issues that he's brought before us now that really call upon us to draw on the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill the purpose for which he has set us apart for himself. In this 13th verse, there comes a challenge. And the challenge now is going to reach deeply within our hearts because it is going to reach to the place where we have to make decisions concerning the material things that God has given to us and for us to use. Look with me, if you will, please, at the 13th verse, just the first half of that 13th verse, where it says, distributing to the needs of the saints. What he is now calling us to do is to recognize that within our realm of influence, our realm of impact, 
there is an opportunity for us to use those things which God has entrusted to our care for the well-being and the benefit of the whole body. He's already told us about the spiritual things that we can use to benefit the whole body. He, He spoke to us about the spiritual gifts that everyone who knows Christ as Savior are given for the purpose of building up the body of Christ and ministering to one another. Now he takes us into a realm that might be a little bit more challenging because he's reaching into our pockets. And he's saying, now, understand this. God has blessed you in many, many ways. And one of those ways is materially. And part of the responsibility that he lays upon our shoulders is to care for each other. Distributing to the needs of the saints. When we look at this, and if we were to summarize it, we would say that in the IOU concept that we've been looking at here in this 12th chapter, IOU, caring generosity. There are times when needs are going to arise, and IOU, a response that is reflective of God's desire for me to minister to you, and for you to minister to one another. And so he gives us this directive, and in, in just a brief way, he says, you're to minister to the saints. And I want you to practice this caring giving. Where did all of this begin? And as we look at the scriptures together, what we find out is that the idea of caring for each other's physical needs was something that had really been initiated by the Lord. If you go back into the Old Testament scriptures and you read how God was working with the people of Israel and how he was providing for his people, you always had a distinction of individuals who were well-to-do, those who were comfortable, and those who were in need. And so God would give primarily the instruction to those who were somewhat well-to-do this idea. When you go through your fields and when you reap your harvests, don't glean the things that are in your field. In other words, when you take the corners of your field, leave some in the corners. If you don't gather everything up as you're going, leave some of that on the ground. And if while you're piling the things that you have grown onto a wagon to take it to where it's going to be ground and so forth, and some of that falls off, leave it on the ground. Why? Because God said that now those who are in need can come through the fields, they can glean those things that have been left behind, and you can care for them in a very, very specific and objective way. Uh, Isn't it interesting? Recently I was listening to um, Alistair Begg. Do you ever listen to Alistair Begg? Great preacher. Great. You know what? He he could say... uh, (laughs) He could say the Pledge to Allegiance and it would sound like it was something awesome and just because of the brogue that he has and the way he speaks. And he was recently addressing uh, an issue similar to this and he talked about the fact, did you notice that those who had were not supposed to give what they had reaped to those in need? 
they were to allow those in need to come and get it for themselves. Rather important point, we're going to develop that a little bit more later on, but I thought I'd mention that now because it really begins to set a pattern for us that we're going to see. So the Lord is the one who instituted this. And then Christ, he reiterated this when, when he was talking to the disciples and when he was doing his teaching. He, he said that it, it uh, is a wise thing for those who have things that are of material wealth to give to the poor and to do it quietly without any fanfare, but doing it in such a way that you're not seeking glory for yourself, but your motive is to glorify God and to help the needs of those who are poor. We find that there is a further development of this in the early church because the people of God in the early church began to demonstrate this same understanding of the use of their material wealth. What, what had occurred in a variety of different circumstances really focuses on the ministry of Christ where, let me, let me use this. Do you remember prior to Judas's uh, betrayal of the Lord how there was an, a situation where Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, came to Jesus with costly spikenard, a, a perfume that was very, very costly. In fact, it was extremely costly. And she anointed the feet of Jesus with that. You recall when that occurred? Do you remember what Judas's response was? Why wasn't this sold for this exorbitant amount of money so that we could give it to the poor? Now, though his motives were wrong, because the Bible goes on to tell us he, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he's the one that kept the money bags and he was skimming money off the top. But, interestingly, he would say that openly before Christ and before the disciples because their practice had been when God has provided for us, we will see that those in need will be provided for as well. That was the pattern of their lives. You, you find that same pattern being carried out by the believers in uh, the, 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 the town of Antioch. There, w- there was a prophet by the name of Agabus who spoke to the people in the church at Antioch and he said, there is coming a great famine. And that famine is going to devastate the land. Now here's what was going on in their minds. They... They were cared for fairly well. And they knew that the believers down in Jerusalem were going through some terrible, terrible times of testing. And now if a famine occurs, it's going to be even worse for them in the days ahead. So the Bible tells us that what they did, they gathered an offering together to help relieve the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. You can go further and look at the instruction that the Lord gave to the church at Corinth. And he used, as an example, the churches in Macedonia as being extremely generous, and he used them as an example for the Corinthians to understand that 
what you have in your material wealth or as your material wealth, what is in your possession is merely a stewardship that you have been given. It is not something to be embraced with greed, but it is to be looked at as a stewardship that can help the needs of others. And he gave us, and and if you were to look in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians, the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, what you'll find is the instruction that really sets the pattern for us as followers of Christ today. And so you, you have the early church being instructed very, very clearly as to their responsibilities when it comes to the matter of caring for one another. And then we come to a verse like this, and what we find is that the Lord anticipates that we are going to do the same thing. That we are going to be involved in caring for one another's needs, and that we will reflect the same love of the brethren that was reflected by God himself, by the Lord Jesus Christ, by those who were part of the early church, and that we would be individuals who would be generous by nature, who would be looking for opportunities to help those in need, and that we would respond to those who are in need. And so we have before us this practice of caring generosity. But it does leave some questions. You know, there, there are some, some practical issues that come up with this. Um, one of the things that's really hard uh, for us, and, and it has always been a difficulty, is to try to discern who genuinely has needs. Uh, we have people come regularly to the church office, and uh, they will tell us about the needs that they have, and they will raise questions as to, will we step in and help them? And what's really hard about this is, we don't know any of them. They come off the streets, and what I've learned over the years, and, and this may sound harsh and might sound hard, but there are people who actually make a living doing this, and they shake down churches, and just as you have a responsibility before God to be a good steward, we as a church have a responsibility before God to be good stewards as well and not to finance people who are using the church in a, in a greedy fashion to try to satisfy their own desires without becoming involved in the way that the Lord wants them to become involved. And so we're left with a dilemma. What do we do? Well, I'm going to let you think about that for a little while because when we talk about this issue of practicing this caring generosity, we'd better be sure that we follow the scriptural pattern that relinquishes itself to the priorities of giving. How, how does God establish a set of priorities? Because you all understand this, the needs are always greater than the resources. Do, do you understand that? There's, there's always people who, and I use the word, the, the quotes, um, who need more than we have the capability to respond to. And so we better look at the scriptures and find out, are there any limiting elements 
that bring the concept of caring generosity into a package where we understand what God's intent is. And so we look at what the priorities are of that, and the first priority we run into is this. Is this. No. The order. Can you all read those letters? Okay, I'm having trouble reading them out there. I'm not going to use these uh, script letters anymore. Uh, Every once in a while I have to look up at the outline. When I was young, I'd always have my outlines memorized. Now I'm old and I don't. And what's worse is not only is the memory going, but the eyes are going. So I can't... Okay, here we go. What do I have here? The next thing. The order of caring giving. All right. Now I know where we're going with this. The first priority that God gives is really recorded for us in the scriptures, and I'd like you to turn with me because we're going to be in this area quite a bit. Turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 3, and I want you to look down here at verse 10. We're going to look at this again a little bit later on, but there's something that is vitally important for us to to grasp. When you look at how people's needs should be satisfied, here's the order. First, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Now, I I know that this is really a hot button today because we're watching our government provide for people that... um, Okay. Here comes Judge Judy. (laughs) But she illustrates this so beautifully. This this is so... You know what? She's not a believer. I, I know that. But she really practices common sense. And um, I think she has a whole lot more common sense sometimes than many believers. That's part of the reason I enjoy her so much. Because she's just... This is, this is life. This is the way it is. Inevitably, people will be coming onto the program, suing somebody else, and she will ask, well, are you working? And... <laughs> You cannot believe how many times, no, I'm not working, I'm on disability. And now listen, I I do want to say this, because I would suspect that perhaps some in here, there are times that disability is legitimate. But some of these guys that come in, uh, they'll they'll betray themselves because they'll talk about working out at the gym, and she'll say, but you can't work? Well, she understands this principle. If you are going to have your needs satisfied, do you know how you begin? You work. You get a job. You do something that is productive. And she will often tell people, why don't you go to McDonald's and apply? Do something. And that is the way it's supposed to be. If you have the capability to work, you should be working. And it could be that someone in here falls into that category where you have the capability to work and you're not working. Shame on you. That is wrong. Well, there is a solution. Stop eating. If you don't work, you don't eat. 
And I also understand that some of you may not be able to work. So I hope you understand, I'm trying to make a distinction here that the Lord himself makes. And you don't, our society doesn't seem to embrace this a whole lot. You know, we, we kind of want a free ride, don't we? We, we want somebody to, to take care of us and to give to us. Somebody posted this past week on Judge Judy. <laughs> Some of you are going to think I get my sermons from Judge Judy. <laughs> it had two women, one woman being sued by another woman, and the woman that was being sued had borrowed $2,000 from the first woman, and I didn't... They, they, the clip did not include the whole thing. Did any of you see what I'm talking about online? Okay. Are you the one that posted it? <laughs> I want you to come up here and sit on the platform. You, you obviously like Judge Judy too. You know what I'm talking about. And this woman is arguing this case. Um, this lady that... that gave me, from her point of view, the $2,000. The reason she wasn't paying it back was because she had enough money of her own. Is that accurate? She had plenty of money. Boy, did Judge Judy jump on that. She, she said, you are the one who made the decision to have five children. You are the one who chose to put yourself in this situation, and this lady works for a living, her husband works for a living, you borrowed the money, you're paying it back. That's biblical. That's the right way to do it. The argument that you have money, you know what, that's the philosophy of what's happening in the political realm today. If there are people that have money, let's take it away from them and give it to people that don't want to work. Don't say amen. Because that says so be it to the wrong thing. Have you ever been hired by a poor person? Have people in poverty hired you to work for them? No, it's people that have made progress financially and now they provide jobs for people who can work to continue to produce wealth, which, by the way, is also a biblical principle. Produce wealth. Boy. The second realm is for the family to provide. We will often have people come to the church for help and they, they will ask for financial help. And in that process, there are two questions that I want to know. And, and something that's really kind of cool is, I, how many of you know what a pit bull is? Okay, you know what pit bulls are? Okay, they, they're pretty tough. And they can, they can say, here's the line in the sand. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but I have a pit bull. She's my secretary. 
And I will hear people make phone calls and try to shake the church down for money. And she will approach this in the right way. She'll say, well, how about if you give me the phone number of your home church and we'll see if they can come to your aid? (laughs) Well, I don't have a home church. Now, we don't do this. We, We don't pursue that, do we? You, you might a little bit, <laughs> but, but generally speaking, that isn't something that we really pursue. But you, you could say, well, why don't you have a home church? What's wrong with you? Why do you think coming to a church is where you should be able to come in order to enforce your laziness and your unwillingness to work? We don't say that. The next question that we do ask is... Do you have any family members that are able to help you? Because a lot of people will blow right by their family and say, well, the church should step up. I want you to look at what God's Word has to say. You are there in in 2 Thessalonians, so now you're only going to have to turn a page or so away. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, In verses 4 and 8, listen to this. But if any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Does God mean what he says? Yes, you... This is within the context of the church helping people out. And he's saying you start first with your family. Drop down to verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The order is, you work. And if you cannot work, and by the way, I understand, too, that there are times people go through circumstances in life where the bottom falls out and they are in need and working isn't going to solve the problem right now. There is is a need that's immediate and perhaps because of a physical limitation, maybe because of an accident, maybe because of an illness, they're not able to work, so now they're going to need help. Then, if they need help, start with your family. If your family is not willing to help you, They're in violation of God's word. And what if they don't care? Now the church steps in. And we come to Romans chapter 12, verse 13. And the church does what it can to be of help to those who are in need. We are to distribute to the needs... Of the saints. It doesn't mean we give so that people can have what they want. We give so that people can have what they need. And so the church steps in. And then what if the church doesn't have the capability 
to provide the financial need. Because there are times when the church just doesn't have the means to supply some of the greatness of needs that exist. And there are legitimate needs. At that point, do you know what we have to, to resort to? Trusting God. We trust God. And say this is, this is beyond the person's capability to work. Their family has done all they can to help. The church has stepped in, and we have done everything we can to be caringly generous with them. But Lord, it's not enough. And then Philippians 4.19 kicks in. But my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? Now, do you understand that that's also conditional? We'll talk about that in just a moment. So, in this first, this initial phase of the, of the priorities in, in providing caring generosity, we deal with the order, of, of the order that's first given, but then also with the limitations of caring generosity. You have your Bibles there in that area of of 1st and 2nd Timothy and 1st Thessalonians, turn back to 2nd Thessalonians, chapter 3, and listen to this. This is just, this pretty well puts a cap on things. In 2nd in Thessalonians, chapter 3, beginning at verse 6, listen. But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make, ourselves, to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you who are... Uh, walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. I understand this, this is sounding harsh today. These aren't the kind of things that pastors should be saying from the pulpit, especially if they want people to keep coming to their church. Just smooth everything out. We're not here for that. You know what we're here for? To hear God's Word. Because God's Word is truth. And I hope I'm not saying this in a, an obnoxious or a, a harsh way. But the truth of the matter is, we're living in a day today, and we're seeing it in the political realm now, just how little attention is given to the principles of God's Word and how we are forsaking His Word for our moral standards. And as a result of that, what we're doing is we're bankrupting our, company, our, our country 
and we are destroying the moral fiber. And when we hear people saying, this killing in the streets has got to stop, why is it going on? Check out how the kids are being taught at home. You want this to stop? Mom and dad, stay together, love each other, and teach your children. That's when it will stop. But, no. Well, we come back to this, and what we find is that the limitation is that the idle person doesn't get help. The person that comes to the church and says, will you help me? The answer is, I'm sorry. You look capable of working. And by the way, people that come to our church, we don't help them. Some of you are going to be upset with that, but we don't. We don't help people we don't know. Because we can find ourselves in violation of God's word. Now, I will say this. If I genuinely believe that somebody needs help, I'll personally help them. But we're not going to have the church give its hard-earned money for people that are shaking it down. People that we know who are in need, we will help as far as we possibly can. If you're part of our church, by the way, you all understand, membership has its privileges. I'm serious. Membership has its privileges. And I'm not talking about a credit card, but I'm talking about the church body. You're part of our church and you come into need. Your, your work is not sufficient. Your family is not sufficient. You let us know. We're going to help you. It's that simple. And by the way, when I say we, who am I talking about? What a privilege we have to give. But the person that won't work, no, we're not going to help them. The people that we don't know. Oh, do you know what they do? Ooh. They will inevitably pull up in a car full of kids. They'll have their wife there, and they'll say, my kids are sick, and I just need money to get to, to uh, Tampa. Just need to have gas money to get to Tampa. I call them on it. I say, you wait here. Just to be sure everything's up and above board, I'm going to go in and call the police department and make sure, and I get their license number, make sure that everything is okay. I get on the phone. You know what the police tell me? We can't tell you anything about those people. I said, that's okay. As long as I'm on the phone with you right now, that's all that matters. By the time I come out, they're gone. Seriously. That's kind of what we have to deal with. Boy. That pastor really gets mean when he gets old. We are not to release families from their obligation of help. If a family doesn't step up and help, the issue is with the family, and that has to be worked out. Then the church will step in. And I will say this. We will not give to enable people to sin. Sometimes people want help because they want to live a lifestyle that is in opposition to the standards of God's Word. And... We're not going to help them. 
somebody comes in and says, you know, I really need a lot of money. I know the church can't give me enough, but if you can give me enough to get a couple jackpot tickets down here at the gas station, everything will be okay because I'm really feeling lucky today. (laughs) I know I'm being facetious, but we're not giving anything for that. You don't give money to help people sin. And now I'm going to throw out something that may really hit a nerve <laughs> like the rest hasn't. <laughs> I've buried a lot of people. I've conducted a lot of, ser- of uh, funerals. I can count on one hand the number of people who included the church in their will. Why? Do you know what some would rather do? Give their inheritance to a bunch of kids who don't love the Lord, who live profligate lives, who are involved in sin, and now the dead parent finances it. I don't get it. I really don't get it. Have you ever thought about allowing the work of God to go forward with part of your inheritance? Have you ever thought about that? Apparently people don't. Have to go. What's the plan for caring, giving, and generosity? It's not to take the place of personal commitment. If you were to look at 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, the Bible tells us that the Macedonians had given out of their poverty for the needs of the saints in Jerusalem. But before they did that, do you know what they did? They gave themselves. And sometimes people have the idea that if I give enough money, God really doesn't need me to get involved. Do you know what I used to believe? When I graduated from college, I was given, by the grace of God, a very, very good job. Working for a corporation in Pennsylvania that paid exceptionally well. And... Do you know how I salved my conscience? I said, Lord, if I make enough money, I'll be able to send a missionary. Honestly, that's exactly what I was thinking. And you know what the Lord said? Well, he didn't really say it this way. But this is how I would interpret it. You idiot. I want you. I really don't need your money. I want you. And he put the pressure on my heart so bad, I could not do anything but head to the ministry. If we're not willing to give ourselves, your money isn't going to buy God off. We owe him ourselves first. And then, and some of you have been wondering, when I brought up about Bernie Sanders earlier, what is the the issue of, of what we read there in Acts chapter 4, what, what's the deal with this? Because doesn't that sound like socialism? Yeah. And do you know what it was? It was socialism. And boy, you would look at that and you would say, doesn't that seem to set the pattern 
for the way we should be living, that a socialistic society where the haves give and distribute to the have-nots so that we all can have the same amount? No. Because of a variety of different reasons, the first of which, it was never commanded by God. You will never find anything in the Scriptures that called into the realm of obedience those believers in Jerusalem and commanded them to share with one another. They did it on their own. And it only occurred in Jerusalem. It never went beyond the city of Jerusalem. In addition to that, it was done voluntarily. The government didn't take it. People gave because their hearts were so tender to the needs of the people around them that they gave voluntarily. And guess what? It failed. Socialism failed. And it always will. Do you need proof? Look at Cuba. Right? Look at any of the socialistic or communistic countries because communism is essentially socialism wrapped in total government control that even involves your beliefs. And it doesn't work. In addition to that, God's word over and over and over again demonstrates the propriety of personal ownership. Right? You're not believing me, are you? Personal ownership. Um, Do you ever read the book of Philemon? Philemon, a, a guy that has actually owned slaves. And um, Onesimus was a runaway slave. And Paul said, after Onesimus came to know Christ, take him back and treat him as a brother. Which, by the way, when slavery existed in that first century... God saw to it that those who were under that umbrella, that cloud, were to be treated well. And he sends him back to a man that is very wealthy. Because personal ownership, private ownership, was part of God's program. By the way, I don't believe that for eternity this is going to be the best thing. But the way we are right now, if we live by biblical principles, capitalism is the best way to go. Socialism is not. Because capitalism is taught throughout the scriptures. Do you remember the, uh, uh, the, the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31? What does she do? She works, she makes stuff, she sells it to provide for her family. Do you know what that's called? Capitalism. But the problem with capitalism is there's a lot of greed among those in the higher echelons and they need to be spanked as much as anybody. Let me go into the last point. What's the purpose of caring generosity? I've talked a lot about negative things here today. Let's go on and let's take a good look at some of these. To share from one's abundance. I have to go on. It demonstrates your love for God. 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. 
It alleviates the needs of those in difficulty. It opens the way for God to supply your needs. Okay, I mentioned this earlier. I said um, Philippians 4.19 is conditional. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Do you cling to that verse? Yeah, I do too. I, I look at that and I say, Lord, you have promised to take care of all of my needs. But it's wrapped within the realm of my responsibility to use what God has given me, generously giving to those in need. Take a look at the context. God gives what you need in response to your using what he has already given you for the benefit of others. Now my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Don't just sit back and say, well, God's going to take care of me. No. Are you taking care of those that God has called you to care for? Motivates you to work. God addresses people that that were thieves. He said, uh, let him who stole steal no more. And do you know what he goes on to say? But rather let him work with his hands that he may have to give to others. Do you understand that part of the reason we work is so that we can give? That's that's a revolutionary thought. Sometimes people, they they work because I, I would like more. I'd like more of this and I'd like more of that where God says no you work take care of your needs that's going to be appropriate it's even it's not even bad to provide comfortable living circumstances for yourself but part of that has to involve the needs of others and so why do we give or why do we work so we can give. Uh, don't raise your hands, but how many of you ever think about your paycheck and say, boy, I'm so glad I have this job so that I can give? That's exactly what God calls us to do. It blesses you. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It reminds you that what you have is a gift from God. Do you realize that everything we have is a gift that God has given us? My health is a gift from God. My freedom is a gift from God. My privilege of being a pastor at Grace Baptist Church is a gift from God. My material wealth is a gift from God. My salvation is a gift from God. God so loved the world that He gave. He sent His Son to die for my sins and for yours, to be buried and to rise again from the dead so that we can have forgiveness and eternal life. And I trust that you will put your trust and your faith in Him as your Savior. And then finally, it pleases God. The Lord talks to us about sacrifices. The the final blood sacrifice was offered in the person of Christ when he shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. But the truth of the matter is, we still have sacrifices we can give. We can give the sacrifice of good works. 
we can give the sacrifice of giving with which God is well pleased. And when it's all said and done, I owe you caring generosity. Hey, I told you this was going to be a little bit tough today. You get anything that reaches into a person's pocket and it gets tough. But I hope you will not look at this with any less intensity and with any less obedience than you look at any of the promises that God has given to us because this is what he wants. Let's stand. Father, I I, I thank you that you've given us your word. You've blessed us in so many ways. And Father, within this congregation, there are undoubtedly people in need. And I pray that as a result of our spending time in this portion of your word, they would be willing to step forward and allow us the privilege to help them. I pray, Father, that we would give not only in the immediate situation, but that we would give every day of our lives as generously as you give so that we might show through our lives what kind of a loving, caring God you are. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.